Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. It's Freddie Prinze Jr. and Jeff Dye back in the ring. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. Hey, Jeff. Are you ready to rumble our way into an all-new season of Wrestling with Freddie? You better believe I have. I've been practicing my body slams, and I'm jacked. All right, don't go injuring yourself now. We'll be highlighting the best stories and matches of the week in wrestling from AEW, WWE, and have one-on-one talks with the best talents in the world of pro wrestling. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals, Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's the crossover Sports Illustrated's NBA show. Breaking down the latest news, rumors, and everything in between. Here's your host, Chris Mannix and Rohan Nadkarni. This is the Crossover NBA Podcast. I'm Chris Mannix, and this is a special trade deadline edition of the podcast, the NBA trade deadline, 3 o'clock Eastern time on Thursday afternoon, and a lot of activity out there in NBA circles. To help me break it all down is Jason Timp, the host of Hoops Tonight with the Volume Sports. You can follow him on social media. Also, check out the podcast on YouTube. does a great job covering the game Every single night over at the volume. Um, Jason, I wanted to start by just re- like I, I made a list in in all my text messages over the last couple of days of the teams I believe to be most active, like really active, that I think are going to try to do something. Uh, Atlanta, Houston, Charlotte, Chicago, Washington, Brooklyn, Sacramento, and of course, the LA Lakers. Uh, those are the teams that I believe are the most aggressive in, in the market. And, and my... My big picture takeaway before we dig into a few of these teams is that this is one of the more robust sellers markets that I've seen in a number of years. There are some good players available, but the number of buyers right now significantly outnumbers the number of sellers. On the sellers list, you've got Atlanta, which may be auctioning off a few players, Charlotte, certainly has made some guys available. Chicago is a team a lot of other teams are kicking the tires on right now. So when you survey the landscape, does it feel that way to you, that there are more teams looking to upgrade than teams that are looking to break it apart? You know, it's it's actually kind of interesting because I sat down to do my little trade deadline preview yesterday, and it's legitimately difficult to come up with teams that make sense even for specific player archetypes. I was looking at, for instance, the Bucks. Like, let's say the Bucks were in the market for some form of upgrade at the two spot. It's just really difficult to find teams out there that even make sense for them as a trade partner. 
And then when you couple in just like some of their difficulties with matching salaries, that's the other thing too, as you go around with a lot of these buyers, it's almost like a lot of buyers that don't have a lot of money. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's, it's this weird kind of uh, of situation where it's where the, the Lakers seem very hesitant to put their first round draft pick on the table. You have teams like the Bucks who can't offer anything except for second round picks. You have teams like the Suns who can't offer anything but second round picks. And it just, it turns into this situation where it's kind of like a poo-poo platter of buyers even in that mix. But I, in that sense, it doesn't feel like we're going to have <clears> – <throat> crazy overpays happen either, which is something you would think would happen in this type of seller's market. But man, it's tough. It's tough to even find options. And the desperation definitely outweighs a lot of the actual available upgrades out there. Yeah. And the teams that are sellers are looking for those overpays right now. I mean, Atlanta back in 2022 gave up three first round picks to get DeJounte Murray. Now, they're very much aware that they're not getting three picks back for Murray in a deal right now. But as of right now, they're looking for at least two to get back from Murray. Um, and you can have the same conversation in Charlotte, maybe not multiple first-round picks, but whether it is uh, Kyle Lowry, who the Hornets are looking to flip, Gordon Hayward, who the Hornets are open to flipping, Miles Bridges is someone we can get into that's drawn some attention. You know, these teams out there are going to wait. They're going to wait until we get to like 255 on trade deadline day to see if someone comes out of the woodwork with a, a, a again, to use the word again, an overpay for uh, one of these top talents. But I want to start by digging into the Lakers here who are going into the trade deadline, riding a three-game winning streak. That's the official look at the Lakers. If you dig a little bit deeper, one of those wins came against Boston in the most improbable of ways with LeBron and AD out. The next win came in New York, where the Knicks were shorthanded. Uh, still a good win, but the Knicks were definitely shorthanded in that game. And then I was watching on Monday night, Jason, where the Lakers survived a Brandon Miller-led <laughs> comeback attempt by the Charlotte Horns to get that three-game winning streak going into the break. So I guess the question I have for you is, do you think there is a deal out there that puts the Lakers on another level. Right now, they're hovering around 500. They're sitting in, what, the 8-9 spot in the Western Conference. Is there a deal out there that measurably improves the Lakers in even close to the same way that the deals they made last year measurably improved them? See, I think, I think it's part of it. Like getting a player back specifically, and we'll talk about some specific guys, I think is a, a a good step in the right direction for them. But there are some like basketball character things with that team that are far, far, far away from a team that you would typically expect to make a deep playoff run. This is a team that consistently brings poor effort. They have a bunch of really impressive wins this season, but it's like they lose to a Dallas Mavericks team that was completely injury, like completely injury riddled. They turn around and lose to a Spurs team that hadn't won in like a month. They turn around and lose to a Brooklyn Nets team that had won like twice in the in the past month. Like they have so many of these down points in their season in large part because they really, really try 
tied to I think I think LeBron and AD in particular were hoping that the momentum from last year re-signing all these guys bringing in some youth and athleticism because that's the dirty little secret about the Lakers is everyone aside from LeBron and AD is in their 20s like they're actually pretty young I think they were under the impression they'd be able to come into the season and just kind of coast through and it's become abundantly clear that they aren't good enough to do that and then I think I think there's been some stuff on the coaching front like Darvin Ham playing a really really unathletic starting lineup with Torian Prince at the three has exacerbated some of their issues or losing the LeBron and AD minutes in a way that they should not be losing so like I want to be clear do I think going to get a DeJounte Murray or going to get a Bruce Brown will change everything for the Lakers no it's only half of that step the other half of that step is this team needs to have what the Clippers have had basically since the James Harden trade, which is like you need to have an extended stretch where you attack the regular season and you treat every night like a playoff game for a little while just to build those habits and to have like a good 20-game stretch where you go like, you know, 15-5 and five or, you know, 14-6 and six, just to demonstrate that, that you're intent on actually building those habits. And f- to their credit... They're ten and six in their last sixteen. Go, uh, go beat Denver on Thursday. Go beat the Pelicans after that. That would be a good step in that direction. And I think they've started to move Rui Hachimura into the starting lineup. I think the Jared Vanderbilt injury really hurt them on that front, mm-hmm. and will actually make this uh, trade deadline even more important. But that's kind of I, I look at it as a two phase kind of like turn like re- redemption of the Lakers season. They need to bring in an athletic guard. To me, DeJounte or Bruce Brown can address that. I don't know if they'll be able to get either. We'll see. Um, But the other half of it is regardless of what they get back, they need to almost like reset and attack the regular season the way champions do. Because NBA history tells us when you go into chill mode, you just don't rise to the the top of the pile at the end of the day. Yeah, so we we know what the Lakers are willing to part with, right? It's D'Angelo Russell, who's got one year left on his contract, a player option he's almost certainly going to pick up. It's uh, a first round draft pick in 2029 or 2023, which is the only pick the Lakers can deal right now. That's not going to be enough to get DeJounte Murray out of Atlanta. Atlanta wants Austin Reeves and the Lakers have been steadfast, whether it's with Atlanta or anybody else, that they don't want to deal Austin Reeves. And I get that. If you're dealing D'Angelo Russell, Austin Reeves in a first round pick for DeJounte Murray, as much as I like DeJounte Murray, that's not, that's a lateral move, you know, for the Lakers. Mm-hmm. Um, Toronto's interesting with Bruce Brown. I think Bruce Brown's going to go before Thursday because the, the Raptors really have no use for them. Like they wanted the draft picks that came in the Pascal Siakam deal, not necessarily Bruce Brown. So I think he's going to go and I think he is going to return a first round pick to Toronto. The question the Lakers are going to have to ask if it comes to that, and I'll put this question to you, given how D'Angelo Russell has played, over the last month, month and a half. Because in January, he was awesome. Played really well against Boston as well. Three-point shooting up around 40%. Um, They're going to have to ask themselves, is that sustainable with D'Angelo Russell? Because if they believe it's sustainable, as much as I like Bruce Brown, he was a big part of what the Nuggets did last year winning a championship. I don't know that trading Russell and a first is a, a, a big enough step forward to put you in that contender phase because our contender tier because what you are getting with Bruce Brown the defense the versatility you're losing something offensively with D'Angelo Russell so do you if that is something that's on the table for the Lakers a Russell plus one pick 
maybe some filler, whatever it may be in exchange for Bruce Brown. Is that something that you think would advance the Lakers in the Western Conference? So I really like Bruce Brown in the context of a LeBron AD front court. I look at it as essentially another tier of their physical onslaught, so to speak. I even look at it as a means with which that allows you to play a Torian Prince at the three, just simply because you're slotting him in terms of his perimeter responsibilities and athletic matchups into something he can actually manage a little bit better. I think the Lakers in particular would be concerned about flipping a real asset for Bruce Brown in the context of LeBron leaving at some point in the future, just in terms of like retirement. I think they prefer the DeJounte Murray prospect just from the standpoint of like you look at him as a guy that you have for the future to put Mm -hmm. next to Anthony Davis, right? And I I think that's their primary concern. I do think Bruce, like ironically, just within a one-season lens, just one shot at, you know, LeBron's last hurrah, so to speak. I actually like Bruce Brown a little bit more than DeJounte just because I really do think when push comes to shove, you're putting the ball in LeBron's hands and you're putting the ball in Anthony Davis's hands. They've been attacking so much out of the post over the course of this last couple of months. It's been one of the things that's helped kind of turn their offense around. And like, Because of that, I look at Bruce Brown as a guy that could just do all these things on the margins at a higher level. I want to be clear, D'Angelo Russell has won me over in a lot of ways this year. (laughs) Like, just, just from, he's a professional, he's had a good attitude the whole way. The dude has legitimate, like he legitimately got embarrassed by Bruce Brown last year and went mm. into the summer and, and worked on his game. I think he's better now than he's ever been. The question is, can you play Austin Reeves and D'Angelo Russell together and hope to win a championship? And the answer is no. So like at the end of the day, they have to make a decision between one of those two guys. It's really about roster balance. You have to find a way to turn one of those two guys into a two guard that you trust. And let me ask you this. Do you think there's any potential for them to do something even smaller on the margins, like potentially turning for like a Gary Trent Jr. or somebody along those lines? Maybe because they are actively looking for shooters. You know, we know what the numbers say. They're a terrible three-point shooting team. They're a terrible offensive team. They have been on the lookout for shooters. But the, the one of the things that I've heard coming out of out of LA and out of the Lakers camp is that th- there is strong support to do absolutely nothing. <laughs> and, really? and they know they know the risk that comes with, right? Because you don't want to alienate LeBron, who has a player option for next year and God knows what he's going to do. I mean, you know, if Bronny goes to the NBA, that makes LA a little bit less appealing maybe he wants to go find a way to play with him all the things he's talked about in the past there's a risk to that no question but the way the lakers look at it is look we're playing good basketball right now he's like you said 10 and 6 three game winning streak all that um help may be on the way uh gabe vincent who has only played five games for this team probably will return sometime after the all-star break he was someone that they were excited about when they signed in the offseason, you know, Hashimura, not Hashimura, Jared Vanderbilt, you know, I, I think Adrian Wojnarowski knows something when he says he could be done for the season. I don't think that's just speculation. Um, but right now, what they're saying is reevaluate in a month. So if he, if he is able to come back at some point in March or April, uh, that's added value to the team without giving up anything. And the Lakers know when this season gets over, their draft picks get unlocked to a certain degree. They can deal as many as three first-round draft picks um, after the season is over, which opens up a whole wide range of potential options that they can, you know, dig in on. They could use Russell's contract as well if he picks up that player option. There is some support within the Lakers to doing absolutely nothing, and and with the understanding that 
God knows what LeBron would tweet, you know, after three o'clock Eastern, um, <laughs> if if, uh, if they do absolutely nothing. But there's a scenario, Jason, I can see where they they are are completely dark on the trade deadline. Well, and here's the thing: I understand that prospect from like to to put it simply, have the Lakers given anybody much to feel optimistic about them for this season? Not really. I mean, there've been some highs, but I and the, as, the, by as the so, way, the, the injury thing never flew with me. Like, yeah, they've had some injuries, but LeBron and AD have been as healthy as they've been in years. AD is the healthiest he's been in, since his New Orleans days. Like, the, the when your two best players are out there every single night, you can't blame injuries to Cam Reddish and Gabe Vincent and, you know, in and out of Rui Hashimura on, you know, the reason why you're in ninth place in the Western Conference. No, I 100% agree. Like, I think there's something to be said about, like, how how reticent Darvin Ham was to go back to Jared Vanderbilt at the three next to, to, to D'Angelo, D'Angelo yeah, Russell and Austin Reeves. I think weird. that was weird. I'm sure, like, Torian Prince has started more get, twice as many games this year as he did in the previous three years combined. Like, there's definitely some stuff there in terms of lack of optimization, but it really is this simple to me. A championship basketball team has two defining characteristics. They have a talent like there's they're they're usually very good and then the other half of it is they usually have a certain attitude and approach to the regular season and the Lakers have not demonstrated that second half of it so I I totally understand how Rob Palenka and Jeannie Buss might look at this and be like nah this group isn't worth it here's the flip side though LeBron's in his 21st season and I I don't necessarily think Atlanta is going to turn around and trade Trey Young this summer. I think they want a point guard for Jalen Johnson. He's also hooping his ass off right now. Uh, Donovan Mitchell was the other guy I saw thrown around in the report. The Cavs are the two seed in the Eastern Conference. Cavs fans love him. He's having the best defensive season of his career. He's hooping too. So like, let's say by some fluke, somebody does become available this summer. What makes you think you're going to win in a bidding war against a lot of these teams that have better assets to throw on the table than you do? And so from like, I, I just, I think that's an even bigger gamble and that opens the door. You know, there's been so much conversation about like LeBron and whether or not he's going to be traded this, this deadline, which I think there's a 0% chance of that. And I think we all agree, I would agree. but, but I wouldn't put it past LeBron if you did nothing and you flamed out magnificently, meaning like you miss the playoffs entirely or you get swept in the first round or lose in some sort of embarrassing fashion, I would not rule out LeBron being like, you know what, I want the James Harden opt-in and trade or I'm going to opt out and and sign somewhere else. I wouldn't be surprised if that happens at some point this offseason because like, I, like the flip side of that is you just know LeBron is like his kid plays at Sierra Canyon, his other kid plays at USC – He's going to be 40 years old. At a certain point, he might just say it's not worth it to leave. And that might be what saves LA from losing him in, the, in that regard. But like to me, it'd be one thing if there was a clear target. There's not really a clear target this offseason. And so I would look at it as give LeBron James, Anthony Davis, Austin Reeves, and a quality two and three one last crack at the table and make a decision from there. And so I think passing on the deadline would be a big mistake. So let's just... Let's weigh in here briefly on the LeBron trade stuff. I'm with you. I think this is a 0% chance he gets traded. I mean, when Rich Paul comes out and says LeBron's not going to be traded, you can take that <laughs> as gospel. The amount of influence Rich Paul, who also represents Anthony Davis, wields in that organization is significant. So LeBron 
is not getting traded before Thursday. Um, the question is, like, in a, a hypothetical, objective world, should the Lakers look at it? Because a LeBron trade is not really that hard because you can you can look at the potential suitors out there, like Golden State, which is dealing with its own crap right now. They could put together a package which would include Clay Thompson's contract, Jonathan Kaminga, and maybe a first-round draft pick. That would be a pretty nice haul, especially since Kaminga is looking like a star. Like, Kaminga is playing out of his mind right now. Uh, the Knicks, they could put together a package headlined by Julius Randle, the Lakers don't necessarily want, but also three first-round draft picks they could fork over. That's a pretty good return. Uh, the Philadelphia 76ers, same situation where they have Tobias Harris's contract and multiple first-round draft picks they could potentially deal. So, I mean, again, it's not happening. But should it be something that the Lakers at least look at? Because... If they can't get that significant upgrade, this this is a team that's going to struggle in the play-in tournament. I know AD's great. I know LeBron's great. But this is a team, I think, that's going to struggle to get into the playoff field in the play-in tournament. So I'm a little more optimistic about the Lakers on the low end of the West. Like, I, w I would expect them to get out of the play-in, and I would expect them to be good against most of the matchups in the conference. It's just the top teams. I, I give them a near 0% chance as currently constructed to get through a Denver, to get through a Clippers in particular. Even, the Oklahoma, like, even Oklahoma City. Like, I, like, Oklahoma City is going to the playoffs really young, but they do everything right. Like, they do everything I, right. I would pick the Lakers to beat the Thunder. Oh, no, no, no. I think they're way too small and way too young. I, I, I Lakers, think that, aren't, I, Lakers aren't I'll, big. Like, you can, I'll, I mean, I'll give you, big, I, I think LeBron and AD would eat their front line alive for seven ooh, games, personally. You, you hate but, the Dorcher chamber. You are not a fan <laughs> of the Dorcher chamber. It's just, <laughs> it's very clear when they play that they don't have a single body who can even remotely make Anthony Davis feel uncomfortable. Okay, which I think but a, not, which not to make this series. about that, but like... Tell me who is keeping Shea Gildas Alexander from shooting 15 free throws a game. You you point to that guy in that Laker backcourt is stopping him from doing that. I I'm, I, I have no doubt that they have some advantages. <laughs> but, but regardless, we both agree that as yeah. currently constructed, they have little to no chance to get out of the West. Regardless yeah. of who they beat on the way, we both agree they have little to no chance. So accepting that as a reality, I think from the standpoint of asset management, what you're pitching makes perfect sense. Like... Why let him retire into nothingness when you could somehow spark a rebuild with something like that? And with that, I, I, I agree with you in principle. The flip side is, imagine optically what it looks like for the Lakers to, one, have LeBron James sign with you outright, and then to have him behind the scenes facilitate an Anthony Davis trade basically via clutch. And then for you to turn around and basically be disappointing outside of that first year. Yeah, I get it. They made it to the Western Conference Finals last year, but every regular season has been a chore over this span. And generally speaking, in playoff success, what do we have? Uh, two series victories in what would be four years after the title if they lost again this year. So like combining that with being the first franchise to trade LeBron James away, I think it would look bad. And so like, I think there's, I think it's, I think it's mutually beneficial for all the parties involved to try to get the most out of the end of this LeBron James era in LA, just because I do think it would be a bad look, but you're right. I mean, in a vacuum, if you could remove emotion from the equation, if you could remove anything other than just purely what's best for the Lakers franchise, if they don't have enough, LeBron's 39. 
you, you, you got to look to move on to the next phase. It's just, I just don't necessarily see it happening because of those optics. Could you imagine if the Lakers traded LeBron on the same day they unveiled the Kobe Bryant statue? <laughs> like, the, talk about optics. Maybe, look, I, I, I often view trade deadlines through the lens of Danny Ainge, who I covered, cut my teeth covering the NBA in Boston. And Danny would trade his son if that's what he felt was in the best long-term interest of the team that he was working for. And Danny would trade would have traded LeBron already like, or, or at least would have got it done before Thursday because there just isn't a pathway right now. Now, maybe you, again, you can flip the, the script a little bit and say, if LeBron comes back, if AD comes back healthy, um, use those three first round picks on a difference maker. Maybe it is Donovan Mitchell. Maybe you do get your hands on DeJounte Murray because I do think DeJounte Murray could be in Atlanta beyond the deadline. Let's not forget the lessons learned by the saga that was John Collins, right? The, the mm -hmm. Hawks, the Hawks are not a team that's, unwilling to be uncomfortable, like bringing a guy back that they people thought they were going to trade. They did a John Collins year after year. He was Charlie Brown to their Lucy. He thought he was going to get traded every single year, always wound up back uh, with the They're Atlanta also Hawks. playing so better. They're playing better. They are playing better. So I, I think there's, there's a motivation in Atlanta to hold on to him if they don't get the right kind of offer. So maybe the Lakers can do that uh, next year, but they're a very interesting team to watch uh, over the next uh, the next couple of days. Attention all wrestling aficionados. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. This is Freddie Prince Jr., and I am beyond thrilled to announce that our wrestling extravaganza is back, and joining me once again is the one and only Jeff Dye. Get ready as we highlight the most jaw-dropping matches, dissect the fiercest feuds, and uncover the latest twists and turns in the world of pro wrestling. We're dusting off our legendary side quests and unleashing a barrage of brand new segments that will keep you guys on the edge of your seat like our talks on unsanctioned Thursdays. Freddie, you know we gotta give the people what they want. This season, we have an all-star lineup of special guests who are gonna be gracing our podcast, bringing with them their own unique insights, experiences, and all of that in the world of pro wrestling and beyond. Whether you're a seasoned wrestling veteran or a fresh-faced newcomer, we promise an experience like no other. So buckle up, wrestling fans. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty, Sports Scandals, each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Cain Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape. You can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So, listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast 
on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I mentioned Boston. And look, right now the Celtics are cruising through the Eastern Conference, five games up on anybody else in the conference. They look like a runaway leader to advance to the NBA Finals. When they get to the NBA Finals, that's where I think it could get more challenging for them. Because what we've seen in recent weeks, where Denver went into Boston and won, where the Clippers went into Boston and blew out the Celtics, where the Lakers, eh, well, we'll we'll put that on a shelf a little bit maybe, because that was (laughs) such a weird game. But Western Conference teams, top teams, have come into Boston and have had success. The Celtics' losses... Uh, what the three of them have been to Western Conference teams at home, rather I should say. Um, is this a team that, in your mind, needs to be aggressive, adding something to this mix? Because we know they've got arguably the best six-man rotation in the NBA, but after that, there are certainly question marks about what the Celtics have. Yeah, it's interesting. I I had a a mailback question on my show regarding the Celtics and their trade deadline. And as I look into it, it's like, could they use another ball handler? Sure. But it would be somewhat difficult to pull off and it certainly wouldn't change necessarily their fortunes if the top five guys can't figure it out. Could they use a backup wing? Sure. But again, it doesn't really make much of a difference if they can't get the top five guys to figure it out against the best teams in the league. And then the, the big one that I think that I would look to address at the deadline is just getting basically some form of veteran big man that in mm. case Porzingis gets hurt, turns his ankle and misses a week, you just have some more like insurance there. And I've seen Andre Drummond's name get thrown around. He's a guy to keep an eye on. Like I think you could get away with someone like a Kelly Olynyk too if you have the type of perimeter defense that they can put out there in some of those lineups but the gist of it is to me like when you look at those specific losses that they've had and their last four losses are all against teams that came into the season on that contender tier right like it's it's the Denver Nuggets it's the Los Angeles Clippers it's the Milwaukee Bucks in those games it was their offense that faltered and one of the things that I've noticed this season is they've kind of attached their fate to jump shot result in so many different ways. Uh, I've seen it team-wide in just the way that they hunt three-point shots, which analytically makes sense. But again, sample size doesn't mean anything to the individual game. In the individual game, if you're not making shots, you're not making shots. If you don't have another punch you can go to, that's an issue. And so like, I the way I look at it, it really doesn't matter what they do at the deadline. It comes down to can Derek White, Jalen Brown, and Jason Tatum in particular – show the resiliency to find a different way to score when their jump shots aren't falling. Because that is a consistent theme that we've seen, and it stretches beyond just this season into the past, where like when that pull-up three is not going for Jason Tatum, what's his next punch? When Jalen Brown, Brown struggled in every one of those games that they lost over the course of the last you know couple of weeks. And so to me, like Obviously, I'd like to see them get some reinforcement, particularly at that backup center position. Mm -hmm. But I said this at the beginning of the season, and I still believe it firmly to this day. Like It's about the dudes in that starting lineup. They have to get the monkey off their back with the best players in the league. They need to be able to go toe-to-toe with the Jokic, toe-to-toe with the Jimmy Butler, toe-to-toe with the Dame, toe-to-toe with the Kawhi, and out-execute those guys in the half court in a slow-down environment. And when they figure that out, they are literally going to win the trophy. They're going to win it. They have the talent. They have every position group locked down. It's just simply about actually reaching their potential when they get to those moments. And so I don't think the deadline plays too much of a role in the outcome of the Celtics season, in my opinion. 
I don't know. I mean, I've heard the Drummond stuff too, and there's a tidiness to Andre Drummond because he would fit into that Grant Williams trade exception. So you don't have to mm-hmm. give up a player necessarily. You also could just attach some kind of draft capital, maybe a couple of second rounders. Although the interest in Andre Drummond is pretty high right now. I mean, he's averaging like 18 and a half rebounds per 36 minutes. Like his numbers are, <laughs> his rebounding numbers have always been great, but I think that's a career high, like a per 36 minute uh, career high. So there's strong interest league wide and Andre Drummond. If I'm Brad Stevens, though, I am scrolling through my phone, finding my old pal Danny Ainge's number and making a call because I would want Kelly Olenek. Um, One thing about the way the Celtics play is that they like all their guys to be switchy. They like all their guys to be able to shoot. They like all their guys to be able to play make. That's what Kelly Olenek can do. Now, we can debate his defensive abilities. They're certainly not on the level of some of the other guys in Boston, but... He can shoot the three. I think he's above 40% this year, albeit in uh, uh, limited numbers. Uh, He's got a decent shooting percentage, and he's got a familiarity in Boston. Played his first four years with the Celtics. So Brad Stevens knows what he's getting in Kelly Olenek, who I I know is a good locker room guy as well. That's a guy that could very easily slide into your rotation. I'm not talking about a guy... I'm talking about acquiring a guy that can fill in if Porzingis or Horford goes down. I mean, if Porzingis or Horford goes down for a significant period of time, they're probably toast. Like, it's, I, I just don't see them beating top-tier teams without one of those guys. But with Olenek taking those Luke Cornett minutes, I, I think they're better off because Olenek will space the floor. He's a good passer. You can put him in bet more positions than you put Luke Cornett in. That would be something I'd be aggressive. Now, it's probably going to cost you Peyton Pritchard, which you have to worry about replacing him as well. But over the stretch run, I'd probably be more comfortable with my chances if I had Kelly Olynyk in the front court and Peyton Pritch- and, and not having Peyton Pritchard in the lineup. I actually agree with you. And specifically, Kelly Olynyk as a pick-and-pop player I think is super important because, like, in my opinion, the Celtics offense has actually looked at its best this year when they're running pick and pop with Kristaps Porzingis. To me, it's like the hardest action to guard in modern basketball, just simply mm-hmm. from the standpoint of like almost all pick and roll coverages are designed to contain the rim and that initial ball handler. And like when the guy picks and pops, like there's just real, no, there, it's really difficult to ask a center to contain a ball handler coming downhill at you, but then also close out at the dude at the three point line. And so I think like in a lot of ways, especially when you factor in just the simple reality that offense in a weird way kind of dictates the the future of the Celtics team, like their rhythm and flow on offense means everything. And so lean into it. And in my, I actually, I really like the Kelly Olynyk fit. The other thing with Andre Drummond too, is like, he's one of those guys as someone who covered him very closely when he was with the Lakers. He's one of those guys that like on the right night, you're like, oh man, this is a high level starter right here. And then on another night, it's like it's like his head's not in it, and and he's floating through, and he doesn't have active hands, and he's not running the floor, and you're like, okay, this is why Andre Drummond is Andre Drummond. I think Kelly Olynyk has definitely a lower ceiling than a guy like he does in terms of uh, Drummond does in terms of his ability to impact the game physically. But yeah, I, I really like the Olynyk fit. That that I think is a really good idea for them. Yeah, it makes sense, and I do think Boston will be aggressive because I think they see the same things where they they know what they're going to get from their top six, but. You know, Luke Cornett, he's had his moments, but you know, he's, he's limited. Uh, they like Peyton Pritchard, but if you can get Kelly Olynyk and it costs you Peyton Pritchard, I think the 
the positives outweigh the negative in a deal like that. Attention all wrestling aficionados. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. This is Freddie Prince Jr. And I am beyond thrilled to announce that our wrestling extravaganza is back. And joining me once again is the one and only Jeff Dye. Get ready as we highlight the most jaw-dropping matches, dissect the fiercest feuds, and uncover the latest twists and turns in the world of pro wrestling. We're dusting off our legendary side quests and unleashing a barrage of brand new segments that will keep you guys on the edge of your seat like our talks on unsanctioned Thursdays. Freddie, you know we gotta give the people what they want. This season, we have an all-star lineup of special guests who are gonna be gracing our podcast, bringing with them their own unique insights, experiences, and all of that in the world of pro wrestling and beyond. Whether you're a seasoned wrestling veteran or a fresh-faced newcomer, we promise an experience like no other. So buckle up, wrestling fans. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty, Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape. You can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game-changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So, listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. A couple of things I want to ask you about. Um, the Warriors right now are, are a mess. They beat Brooklyn last night. Good win. Great. Uh, but they still need something. Uh, Clay Thompson is out of the lineup when it comes to closing games. That's obviously something that's gnawing at him um, pretty significantly, understandably so. Um, I don't think that the Warriors can get anything done unless they put Jonathan Kaminga in the mix. And I don't know, man. Like, the more I see of Jonathan Kaminga, the more I think he is what the Warriors hoped he was going to be. Someone that was going to bridge the gap between the team of yesteryear and the team they want to be in the future. Is there any scenario where you would put Jonathan Kaminga in a deal that would help the Warriors win right now? So it's interesting because I think Kaminga's gotten so good, he's actually put the Warriors in a really difficult predicament. Because Steph Curry goes for 60 the other night, uh, closed the game out last night against the Nets, basically just straight ISO down the stretch of the game. The He's one of those transcendently great players that you can win a championship with. But mm -hmm. this Warriors team is not close. And another thing is true. 
as good as Jonathan Kaminga looks like he's going to be, and I mean, th- this is a simple stat to demonstrate it. He had never had back-to-back 20-point games in his entire career up until this recent stretch. And then he notched like seven or eight of them in a row. He's on mm-hmm. a ten game. He's on a ten game stretch, averaging twenty five points per game on over sixty percent shooting. Like, Ridiculous. He's no one can guard him head up. Like they can't. They can't keep him in front without fouling. He's actually shooting the ball really well. He's well over fifty percent from three over this span. He's been a guy like once again last night against Brooklyn late in the game. They threw it down to him on the block in crunch time, and he was able to get a foul and get to the line. He's actually shooting well over 50% in crunch time situations this year. But NBA history tells us that – what is Jonathan Kaminga now, 22? I think he's like 21. 21. Doesn't turn 22 21. till the okay. next year, next season. Exactly. Michael Porter Jr. was the youngest starter in the finals at age 25, and he struggled. Like, mm-hmm. like kids, generally speaking – I mean, he's a grown man, but relative to the league, young, younger yeah. players tend to struggle. And so there's this – it's this really difficult balance where it's like Kaminga's almost too good to trade – but too young to really, truly help you. Now, the one trade that I pitched on my show, and Warriors fans had a revolt. They don't want to do this because they're all as completely attached to Jonathan Kaminga now. But call up Brooklyn. Funny how that happens. Funny how that yeah, happens. yeah, exactly, right? So call up Brooklyn, offer him Jonathan Kaminga and Andrew Wiggins. I don't even – and Moses Moody. I don't think you even have to add a draft pick because oh, of I how good Jonathan Kaminga is. And I'd ask for Mikhail Bridges and Dorian nope. Finney-Smith. Nope. And, nope. and the idea, the idea no. there, the idea there, would, well, and again, they have two first round draft picks too that they could include if they wanted to. And in my opinion, Mikhail Bridges is 27 years old and is not mm. good enough to be the best player on your team. So treating him as a foundational star is a mistake on Brooklyn's part, in my opinion. So that would be an opportunity for yeah, you to turn. Guys want to play with him. Guys, guys are going to want to play with him. Like he's one of those guys that they, they know that too. By the way, in Brooklyn, they know he's not the number one guy, but they see him as the guy that'll attract the next guy. Like here we mm. got a Swiss Army knife guy who could average 20 points per game and defend every single position on the floor. I can come in and win with that. Like that's the guy that gets to the next guy. You you think if they literally offered him Jonathan Kaminga and two first round picks that they'd say no? I think they say no. Okay, I think I think they're that big. They're that entrenched in their belief that Bridges is their future. Okay, and so that's interesting and that's good to know, but. That is an example of a deal that could potentially bring back a legitimate three and four next to Draymond Mm -hmm. that would give you a chance to go for it. And to to your point, there's not a lot of great options out there. Like, I'm not even sure I'd flip Jonathan Kaminga for a Laurie Markkinen at this point. Mm. Be- like, like it, it, especially considering Steph so desperately needs another guy who can do something with the basketball in their hands, mm-hmm. it, it, which has been an issue down the stretch here. But like, honestly, the reality is, is like y- you're pitching to me how Brooklyn would hang up the damn phone. When I, I pitched this trade, but they hang up the phone. But they, they <laughs> but to the they, point, they Warriors been, they, fans were like, "No, what are you talking about? We never get you know." Like they're when, when I to this when guy I talk now. to when I, when I talk to people around the league, like. Brooklyn's almost proud of how they're not taking offers for Bridges. Like, I know Houston was after him for a minute, dangling Jalen Green. Um, but they they just weren't interested. They, they just believe. Again, it, it's not about Bridges being the guy. It's about being the guy that can get the guy. Like, that's their their take on it. And, and I can he's see it. He's super like, well-liked. I, I can see. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's really well-liked. He's a great player. Like, just not on that alpha level, probably. But they believe mm-hmm. the combination of New York and some cap flexibility could you know, get them to that point. So mm-hmm. I don't know. Like they, I, I'm with you though. On I, I don't know if I do Kaminga Lowry market. I don't know if that gets you onto that level. I don't know how, if Lowry's a great fit playing, you know, opposite Steph and with Draymond like that, that's a lot to figure out in the short term. I, I 
they're in a tough spot, man. They're in a tough spot because I don't know what what nibble on the fringes deal gets them out of that you know ten spot that they're in right now. Maybe into the playing tournament they can get, and who knows? Maybe Steph can do something great when he gets there. But I, I don't know. I don't know what deal gets them to that point to the higher. Do you point. think? Th- do you think there's any chance? That Oklahoma City has their eye on Laurie Markkinen as the uh, as the ideal. And I thought about that. I, my, I think you know it, it's an interesting team to speculate on um, because they've got what fourteen first rounders and twenty one second rounders in the next seven years. Like it's ridiculous how many draft how much draft capital they have. And they've got look, they're not in a position yet where the cap becomes a problem, but they're probably a year and a half, two years away from it becoming a problem yeah. with some of these young guys trying to get paid. My impression from talking to people in Oklahoma City is that they really want to use this postseason as a barometer to see where they are. Like, let's just go out there with Shea and this group of guys that seems to play pretty well, and let's see where we are. If we get beat in the first round by the Lakers or somebody, then look, we're going to have to shake things up. If we wind up going to the conference finals, screw it. We're just going to keep building around this group, and and you know this will be the team that we move forward with. Plus, you know, any conversation that takes place between Sam Presti and Danny Ainge like you're going to need like months to work something like that out because both <laughs> these guys are going to try to gouge each other or, and win the, the trade. So oh. I, I don't know. I don't see it coming together before the deadline. They are an interesting team, but every, every time I, I, I try to get an inkling of what's going on in Oklahoma, I just, everything comes back to riding this thing out and seeing what they have with this group. One more thing. They're, for tw- they're 29th yeah. in defensive rebounding. I know it's a problem. 29th. It's a problem. Like they, they, you know, they probably should have made the trade to go get old pal Stephen Adams, you know, for next year. Like having him <laughs> yeah. for for next season because they do need some size up front. And I, I don't know like that marketing solves Stephen Adams. That would have been interesting. I mean, that would have been fun. I don't know if marketing solves that problem though. Like he's a good rebounder, but I think yeah. he's literally perfect for a couple. I'll be really quick. Okay. First of all, like two thirds of the baskets he made this year are on catch and shoot jump shots and mm. like finishing around the rim on cuts and rolls to the rim. He is a shoe in offensive fit, basically as a play finisher. He yeah. is an excellent rebounder on that low man position. He basically would be you wouldn't you'd never have to ask him to defend on the perimeter next to Lou Dort in in Jalen Williams. Like legitimately, I think he is I, I don't think I could conceive a better fit at the four than a play finishing, rebounding, basically a secondary big, but one that just kind of brings like the physical presence that Chet doesn't bring to that position. Mm-hmm. And like and 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 quite frankly too, I, I don't know about you, regardless of how we feel about Lori. To me, Josh Giddy kind of feels like the odd man out in that group. Anyway. Yeah, yeah. At some point, he will be. You know, when we talk about the contracts and you know guys getting paid, I think he—that's just a guess on my part. But I think he will be mm-hmm. uh, the odd man out. I mean, hey, Chet will dispute your not physical part. Chet tries to be physical. <laughs> Chet, Chet makes every effort to be physical. He's just—hey, I love Chet. He's just—he's—he's—he's he's, he's not ready for that yet. He's not—he's—he's no, he's, he's he's not, not ready for—he's for, not ready for seven games of a massive Western Conference front line. You are right about the fit in the sense that just like where Boston looks for guys that can do three different things, play at all three levels, play, make everything. That's what Oklahoma city is looking for. That's the type of player they have in their lineup one through five. So they are looking for, for that type of guy. I just, I just can't see Danny and Sam doing a deal 
disclosed it. Like, in a matter of days. I just, I, I, if, if it happens, I will hop right, I'll hop on your show and we'll issue a mea culpa on it, but I don't, uh, I can't see it happening. Last and, thing and for you, you know, you have so much more knowledge about this kind of stuff than I do. Like, so much of my, like, postulation about this kind of stuff is just, like, basketball wishing. You know what I no, mean? Like, just whereas, the whereas just you know like, how this stuff works. I just know, like, you know, like, I mean, you know how Danny operates. Like, he, Danny can smell desperation on teams. He has for years. He smelt it on Minnesota. He smelt it on Cleveland. Oklahoma City doesn't have that smell to them. It doesn't have that odor to them right now. Mm, They're not yeah. desperate. Maybe this offseason. Look, like I said, like, if this team gets beat in the second round and they get clobbered on the boards by one of the top-tier teams, then maybe you turn to, to marketing. Then there's more time mm. to make a deal. There's the same level of assets are still available. But right now, I think Oklahoma City rides this group out. Um, I was on Colin's show earlier in the week, and we were talking about the Bucks, And, you know, we were talking about Doc Rivers and, you know, the effect Doc Rivers can have. And my contention is Doc Rivers, fine coach, great ma- great manager of the locker room, but he doesn't solve the fundamental problem that – Milwaukee doesn't have backcourt defenders. This team is not bad defensively because Adrian Griffin couldn't figure out what defense to run, though that certainly has something to do with it. They are bad defensively because they don't have a perimeter stopper anymore. For all the offensive gifts that Damian Lillard had, he's not the defender that Drew Holiday is. Nobody is in the NBA. So without Drew Holiday in that mix, you're looking at a Lillard, Malik Beasley, Pat Connaughton, Chris Middleton, those guys on that back line. Unless they change that, these problems are going to be problems in the playoffs. Now, I know that John Horst is out there. He's got Bobby Portis he can deal. He's got Pat Connaughton that he can deal. He's got some second-round draft capital, some pick swaps that he can deal. Um, is there one out there in your mind that, I don't know if it solves the Bucks' defensive problems, but makes them good enough so that their explosive offense can can lead them in deep in the playoffs. I think Drew leaving has exposed a massive issue with overall just speed on the team. They look slow a lot of the time. And like it's crazy how like Drew Holiday in so many ways gets taken for granted there. I mean, as as someone who's covered the Celtics closely, mm-hmm. I'm sure you've realized just how important he's been. Not uh, taken for that granted front. there, like, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah he's exactly. Fives. And, he guards fives in some of these games. Crazy how versatile. It's, like I watched Marcus Smart for like a decade and, and thought he was, you know, the the modern position player for versatility. Drew Holiday does more. <laughs> Drew can do yeah. more than Marcus could do. Yeah, Drew Drew is a better version of Marcus Smart as a defensive guard and, and like. Malik Beasley has been trying. He really has. Like, mm-hmm. I've been honest to God impressed by just his effort and, you know, just his his attempt. He's giving it a good, solid attempt. The thing is, is when you start to once again look at their situation, it's difficult to match salaries to get a quality. Like, if they wanted to get a Gary Trent Jr., if they wanted to get a, an athletic two to put next to a dame, it's difficult for them to match salaries. The one trade that I've seen that I think makes some sense is essentially you call up Portland and or excuse me not Portland you call up Utah and you offer them that Portland second round pick they got that apparently lands in the low 30s like right mm-hmm. around like 34 35 and you offer them Marjan Bochamp and you ask for Chris Dunn back and essentially Chris Dunn is the guy that you throw at all these opposing what a ball revival handlers. for Chris Dunn that would be yeah. a continued revival <laughs> of Chris Dunn, who went from God knows where to being a defensive stopper in Utah now. And now in our conversations, being the guy that 
the Bucs can put in the backcourt to defend like Jalen Brown in the playoffs. Yeah. And for the record, I don't view it as like a magic fix because one of the important pieces of context with Chris Dunn is he's mostly playing low minutes. Mm-hmm. And it's a totally, I mean, everybody it's a totally, does, yeah. It, it, it's a totally different thing to to go, you know, absolutely crazy all out, one hundred percent at the point of attack for you know three shifts in a basketball game or four shifts in a basketball game that that, that are short than it is to do it in, in large doses. But I would just like it because it would give him a different look. Because the reality is, is Malik Beasley is shooting the hell out of the basketball, and there is something to be said about offensive upside with that particular group of five. Mm-hmm. I just would like I would like it for them to find at least an option that they can go to that has more of a perimeter defense element. And to me, Andre Jackson Jr. and Marjan Bochamp are not those options. They're not. They're too young. They're too inconsistent on the offensive end of the floor and as decision makers. So, like, I don't know if you can call up a Chicago and maybe get back a Javon Carter uh, to replace, you know, obviously they used to have Javon Carter, although he's not shooting the ball as well this year as he did in years uh, as he started to towards the end in Milwaukee. But to me, like some sort of small move on the margins that gives them at least a perimeter defense look. Because at the end of the day, like as someone who covered Malik Beasley very closely too, he has a tendency to spiral. Like where like what he misses a couple and then it's like his entire game falls apart. And so they need to have an option they can go to. I don't necessarily think Pat Connaughton is that option. So like I, I think they need to be active and at least trying to find that type of guy. Chris Dunn, I think, makes some sense. It's just uh, to your point, too. I don't even, I'm not even sure Danny Ainge would be willing to give up Chris Dunn for, for a second round pick. No, he might be out there looking for a first. Like, you know, the guys that, that I think Milwaukee are looking at, like all the wings in Brooklyn, Finney Smith, Royce O'Neal, it's going to cost a first-round pick at least to get those guys. And the Bucks don't have them. Like, they, they've made their mm. deals, and they were the right ones in the last couple of years. But it's, it's cost them their draft capital. Like, this idea of, like, a Bobby Portis, Grant Williams swap doesn't really make a lot of sense to me because Grant's been so underwhelming this year. He's probably more versatile defensively than Bobby, but Bobby's also kind of the lifeblood of that team. He's like the the soul in some ways. Why do Bucks fans shooting hate like Bobby? 50, I don't know, but he's shooting like fifty percent from the floor. Like, four, isn't he close to forty percent from three? Like, he's. He's he's having a good year. Like, so, he's a backup big. What yeah, are what are they expecting? I don't understand. I the Bucks fans turning on Bobby Portis blows my mind. I'm like because yeah. I, I don't I don't understand. I don't understand what they're expecting. What are you expecting? He's a backup center. Like <laughs> if, I, I don't. If get they it, flip personally. if they flip him for Grant Williams, I think they'll. They'll, they'll appreciate they'll regret it more. It. They'll regret they, it, they, yeah. The end. Chris, Grant, uh, what, what Dallas thought they were getting Grant Williams, they have not gotten. So I don't know how that changes with uh, with Milwaukee. Yeah, I, I think they're between a rock and a hard place, man. I just don't think they – they don't have the assets to get the player they need. And without the player they need, they're not getting past Boston. Like maybe because of the injuries to, to Joel Embiid in Philly and, and the Knicks, you know, maybe they can win a series like that. But you go up against the Celtics with that team – as much as I love Dame and love Giannis, I think Brooke Lopez is such a great story because of what he's doing at the stage of his career. They're just they're just not there. They're just not. What there. do you make? What do you make of Dame's down season this year? I think Dame's still figuring it out. I think I think there's been a lot. There's been a lot that Dame has had to process this year. You know, beginning with Terry Stotts being let go early in the year, which was you know good for him, like having Terry there and running almost identical offense early on in training camp for the one he ran in Portland. And and look, Dame trying to fit in alongside Giannis has been probably predictably challenging, like trying to figure out how to make it work alongside Giannis. I'm still confident that by the end of the year, 
he's going to get better. I don't think this is a sign of decline. I think it's more a sign of him trying to 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 make it work opposite the kind of player he's never played with before. So I'm I'm still a believer in Lillard. I'm just not a believer they have enough defense, especially if they're still bottom third. Like I don't believe like a bottom third team can win in the playoffs. So their team to watch. They'll be interesting. Could be a lot of activity. Or at least a lot of phone calls over the next couple of days. Uh, Jason, good stuff, man. Catch out Jason Timp on Hoops Tonight podcast every night over at the Volume Sports. Catch the audio version on the podcast feed as well as on YouTube. Jason, good to catch up, man. Always appreciate it. Thanks, Chris. This was fun, man. Looking forward to next time. It's Freddie Prinze Jr. and Jeff Dye back in the ring. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. Hey, Jeff, are you ready to rumble our way into an all-new season of Wrestling with Freddie? You better believe I have. I've been practicing my body slams, and I'm jacked. All right, don't go injuring yourself now. We'll be highlighting the best stories and matches of the week in wrestling from AEW, WWE, and have one-on-one talks with the best talents in the world of pro wrestling. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals, Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast.